I'm excited for this weekend because I'm going to be talking about a question that everybody is asking, and it's not, are the Twins going to win the pennant or the World Series, or, or are they going to win the home run uh, championship, right, hit more home runs? They did that yesterday, by the way, didn't they? They pa- bypassed the Yankees with 268 home runs on the year, I believe, and the Yankees had 267 last year. Huge, huge accomplishment, actually. Uh, we're, we're not going to ask the question of, is the $84 million investment a worthwhile thing over time for the Vikings? That's not the set of questions we're asking. The question that we're asking is one that every one of you have asked at some point or another in life, and some of you are probably asking it today. It's the question of meaning, the question of purpose. It's a question that I've asked on numerous occasions. In fact, in various seasons of life, we, we ask this question through different sets of lenses. And quite often, the outcome of asking that question is just a little different. It's just a little nuanced in every season of life. My wife was uh, looking through some old pictures just a a couple weeks ago, and she came across a couple that that reflect this difference in perspective on meaning and purpose in life. Um, You can just take a look up here at the screens. You're going to see some pictures of me. One of them, when I was, it was 1986, and I was in officer's training school preparing for flight school with the United States Air Force, and the best description comes from my hair, that it was high and tight. Six years later, 1992, preaching at my very first church in upstate New York, the description was business in the front, party in the back. (laughs) What in the world? (laughs) (laughs) let's be honest you've all got these pictures (laughs) and truthfully they represent different phases of life and quite often associated with those different phases of life are different understandings of meaning of purpose different questions that are being asked so we're going to dig into that today we're going to explore this question of meaning And I want to do so by making an assertion right up front. And here's the assertion. That Christians are conduits and not containers. Christians are conduits and not containers. And when we come to understand what it means to be a conduit, it actually provides us with a better grasp of meaning and purpose in our life. We're doing this on Labor Day weekend. The United States has been nationally celebrating Labor Day weekend for 125 years. Labor Day weekend was set aside to honor the economic and social achievements of workers, everybody in this room, everybody who has ever engaged work over time. What's interesting to me are some of the recent statistics that have come out about workers in light of the celebration of Labor Day, in light of the celebration of work itself and the social and economic achievements that have been made. In 1917, uh, or my mistake, 2017, 1917 would have been 100 years ago now, 2017, the Barna Group came out with a study. And that study explored full-time employment. And what it found was this that less than 30% of all full-time workers were engaged intentionally in their work environment. Less than 30% of all full-time workers were engaged intentionally in their work environment. Two years prior to that, there was another research project that was done. 
the Energy Project combined with New York Times Magazine, and they surveyed 12,000 both full and part-time employees. And they found that better than 50% of all full and part-time employees had no sense of meaning, no sense of purpose, no sense of full engagement in their work environment. Isn't it interesting that we gather together to celebrate Labor Day? We, we rest from our work and we honor the workers and over 50% of them have no sense of meaning, purpose, intentionality in the work environment. Meaning. It's a question we all ask. It applies to every single area of our life. We're not the first ones to ask that question, of course. We can look into scripture and we can find individuals asking the question of meaning and purpose from very early on. In fact, if you have a Bible, please open with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, this writer of this wisdom book in the very first chapter and in the very last chapter uses essentially the same language to describe life. And here's what he says. He says, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Well, that's a happy way to start the day, isn't it? <laughs> first chapter, last chapter. Bookends. In the book of Ecclesiastes, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. And then the writer of Ecclesiastes, this wise man, goes on to describe some of the meaningless things in life. He says that toil is meaningless, and pleasure is meaningless, and riches are meaningless, and even wisdom is meaningless. Wisdom. Is meaningless. At the very end of the book of Ecclesiastes, the writer begins to sum things up and, and drive his final point home. And just listen to these words. Let them roll over your heart as we consider what it means to have meaning in life. Here's what the writer of Ecclesiastes finally comes to. He says this, starting in verse 13. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. In other words, nonchalant, it doesn't matter, whatever kind of living is not a part of the Lord's vocabulary for your life. Lord has created you with meaning. The Lord has given you a purpose. And it's his kingdom and in this world, meaning matters. And it matters a lot. It matters a lot. Let's go back to the surveys that were done on engagement or disengagement one of the interesting outcomes of those surveys is that they, they began to push into these individuals who were, who were suggesting that they didn't have any meaning and purpose in life. And one of the things that they found was the individuals who, who created the highest scores for having meaning and purpose were also individuals who self-sacrificed in the work environment, who were willing to serve 
in the work environment. This is an important word for business leaders in this room. Because what they determined was that self-sacrifice, servanthood, volunteering in the work environment actually created a greater sense of meaning and purpose in the work environment. And when there was a greater sense of meaning and purpose, there was a naturally greater outcome for productivity. So important for us to understand. Meaning drives so many things in life. Here we are on Labor Day weekend celebrating work. And the point is, can we bring meaning into that work environment so that we as a people can be even more productive? In other words, to amp up the meaning in any given work environment, we have to moderate our tendency to take and ramp up our ability to give. Now, the scripture talks about this from cover to cover, really. And we're just going to explore a couple of passages that will help us unpack this idea just a little bit. Because we are made to be conduits, not containers. We are made to give, not to be takers. And it's in the giving that we find the greatest meaning in life. First Peter, the fourth chapter, is where we're going to start. And then we're going to explore a passage from Jesus so 1 Peter, the fourth chapter, the writer of 1 Peter, in the initial part of the fourth chapter, um, sets out a foundation from which this idea of servanthood is launched, from this idea of, of purpose, of using our gifts, is launched. And I'm going to just walk through it, listen intently, and then I'm going to unpack it just a little bit for us, kind of on a, a verse-by-verse or a chunk-of-verse-by-chunk-of-verses basis. Chapter 4, starting at verse 1, says this. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. In other words, an internal transformation, when the Holy Spirit comes and pours into your heart, an internal transformation naturally brings an outward movement. An internal transformation naturally brings an outward movement. What flows into our lives is meant to flow out of our lives. We are conduits, not containers. We continue, verse 3. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry, they think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. Many, many Christians, and possibly you, have been criticized for not partying any longer, or not going to strip clubs any longer, or not gambling any longer, or not drinking any longer, or not swearing any longer. Or not doing any number of things that the people around you want you to continue doing. And if you've been like me, you've heard some abuse because of that. You've been criticized because of it. You've been critiqued because of it. Part of what transpires when, when Christ changes our internal life is that the outside world has to change as well. What flows in has to flow out. Jesus talks about it this way. He says, when there's new wine being birthed, we can't just put it back into the old wineskin. There's got to be a new wineskin. Parts of our life have to change. 
One of the areas that has to change are the people that surround us. We have to take a good look and evaluate the people that surround us. And the truth of the matter is that birds of a feather flock together. And sometimes the flock just isn't good for you. Sometimes the flock isn't good for your marriage. Sometimes the flock isn't good for your family. And as people who have been given this, this new life, this new wine, this, this new flow of living water, we have to evaluate those relationships and make decisions that will allow us to continue moving forward in the ways of Christ. Verse 5. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Um, Don't worry about what others think of you. Your primary relationship, your primary affirmation is with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. God's going to take care of it. If he's birthed new life in you, he's going to take care of the other things. Just keep that relationship strong with him. Verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Aren't you grateful for that? Man, what a gift. Love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Let's come back to verse 10 for just a second. Verse 10 says this. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Would you just turn to somebody and say, that's me, I'm the one. Each one. Each one. Let's just take a look at this passage with with a little bit of an edit to it. You'll find it up on the side screens. And let's go ahead and, and read this together, if we could. Let's read it together. Here we go. Each one, that's me, should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, Faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. A Christian is a conduit, not a container. Jesus uses some powerful imagery to talk about this. It's the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And he's gathered with his disciples in Jerusalem. It's John's Gospel, the seventh chapter, verses 37 through 39. And the Feast of Tabernacles or the Festival of Booths centered around the honoring of God because of the gifts of grace that he poured out into the lives of the Israelites while they were in the wilderness, while they were living in tabernacles or tents. And so thousands and thousands of people would gather in Jerusalem and they would pitch tents and then they would come and they would worship at the temple. And in the midst of all of this, remembrance times would happen in and around the events that took place in, uh, as the people were walking through the wilderness. 
And one of the things that happened on the very last day was that the high priest and all of the other priests would talk about the significance of water and God bringing water from a rock and how water gave life to the Israelites while they were in the wilderness. As that is happening, that's the context. Jesus speaks and he talks about himself as water. Here's what he says. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The correlation he's making is this. Just as physical water gave life to the Israelites in the desert, I will give you spiritual life. I am your life-giving water. And then he goes on to say something even more profound. And this passage is my life verse. It's a verse that has driven my life, guided my life for years and years and years. And here's what Jesus says. He says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this, he meant the Holy Spirit. Streams of living water will flow from those who believe. Notice what it doesn't say. It's only the pastor. It's only the church council members. It's only those with the education. It's only those who are in leadership positions. It doesn't say that at all. It says, the believer, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. Are you a believer? Jesus is talking about you. Jesus is talking about you. Out of your heart shall flow rivers of living water. You are a conduit for life-giving water, not a container of life-giving water. You're a conduit for life-giving water, not a container of life-giving water. There's a difference in perspective here. And let me just break this down for you a little bit so that you can come to understand the difference in mentality between seeing yourself as a container or as a conduit. Seeing yourself as a container quite often brings us to this place. This is not for all people, but it's for many people. That God is going to pour into me, and he's going to pour into me, and I need him to pour into me and to fill me up. And then when the level reaches the top of the container, there's going to be some overflow, and that's what gets moved out into the lives of other people. And it happens with my money. When I get to that point of overflow, I can give a little bit. It happens with my time. When I get to the point of overflow, I can give a little bit. It happens with my talents. When I get to that point of overflow, I can give a little bit. But it's all about me being filled first. And then when it hits that point of overflow, then I can extend out into the lives of other people. They'll receive the overflow from my life. The container mindset is is actually a mindset of scarcity because it wants to hold on to things tightly and it wants to hold on to things first. How about a conduit? A person who sees themselves as a conduit understands the God of abundance. And the God of abundance in the heavenly kingdom pours down into our lives and there's always more than enough to fill always more than enough to fill. The heavenly realms have an infinite supply 
absolutely infinite supply. Ephesians 3.20 says this, that he can do infinitely more than we could ever imagine or ask by his power or his life working in us. Conduits understand God's abundance and they understand that we are just a channel for his grace and his purpose into the lives of other people. Now, some of you might be saying, but, but do I have to be on all the time? Do I, do I have to be, to be doing this kingdom work all the time? I get tired. I'll get, I'll get burnt out. Two things I want to say here. Number one, even a pipeline has to go down for maintenance from time to time, doesn't it? Even a pipeline has to be maintained. God wants you to care for your life, wants you to care for your family, wants you to care for your spiritual being, your emotional being, your physical being. This is not about being on all the time. It's about trusting God's abundance in your life. The second thing that's important is some of you who are here today might be saying, you know, my conduit's just broken. And and I can't do anything. I mean, there's just stuff going everywhere. We experience brokenness, but we have a God who heals, amen? And come to him. If you're experiencing that brokenness in your life, just just come to him and ask for his healing and have him rebuild your life so that you can let the living water flow to you and through you in the way that he exactly wants it to happen. We're conduits, not containers. You know the difference between a conduit and a container? It's really pretty straightforward. I've got a container here. It's a cup of coffee. It holds things. The difference between a conduit and a container is a cap. That's it. Something that gets plugged into the bottom. Something that stops the flow. And so it begs a really important question for every one of us. And and that question is, What caps do I have in my life that are positioning me as a container instead of a conduit? Good question. Really good question for us to consider. Because ultimately, God's desire is for his life-giving water, his life-giving love to flow through you as a conduit, not be plugged as a container. The question then becomes, where do we start? Where does this whole process of of our ability to move forward and and maybe even shift our mindset start? Number one, let me put this in front of you. Take off the cap. My hunch is many of you can identify the cap right now. It might be a cap of shame. It might be a cap of guilt. It might be a cap of struggle with your identity. It might be a cap of not understanding time. It might be a cap of pride. It might be a cap of selfishness. There's all kinds of caps that cause us to be containers instead of conduits. What's the cap in your life? What is the cap in your life? At the end of the message, I'm going to be praying for those caps to be removed in the name of Jesus. And you might want to seek some more prayer around that area. Because ultimately, when we can remove those caps and God's living water, his abundant living water can flow to us and through us, all of a sudden we start to experience meaning and purpose in our lives in a whole new way wherever we are at. 
Here's a second thing that can help you. Do you have a purpose statement? Do you have a mission statement? I do. And I want to give you a couple of of really simple tools that can help you develop one for your life. Number one, find a passage of scripture that really resonates with your soul. I mean deeply resonates with your soul. It's that passage of scripture that in a challenging time is a go-to. It's that passage of scripture that's always on the tip of your tongue. It's that passage of scripture that's a natural point of reflection in your life. God wants to speak something to you and through you by that passage of scripture. Once you've got that passage of scripture identified, what I'd like for you to do is I'd like for you to start putting together a simple statement that describes what that passage means to you and how it's calling you to live. Just start writing out a simple statement. If you want me to help you with that, send me an email. I'll help you with it. So here's how mine looks. My life passage is, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. And here's what my purpose statement is. To be a believer, number one. Secondly, to be a life giver. Wherever I go, I carry faith with me. And wherever I go, I want the living water of heaven to pour to me and through me out into the lives of other people. And that can happen wherever I'm at, no matter what the circumstances. I want people to know the glory of God flowing through my life and for them to turn and to give him glory someday. Be a believer and be a life giver. Here's one of the beautiful things about allowing that living water to flow to you and then through you is that whenever water passes by something it changes that something and so there's always transformation that's happening in your life you're always growing and developing as the Lord pours down to you and through you out into the lives of other people last point I want to invite you to take a step of faith because the truth of the matter is this When we start talking about removing some of those caps, it's scary. It puts us in a position of vulnerability. We've never done it that way before. I don't know what to expect. Will God provide? It places us in a position of vulnerability. And I want to give you the anecdote to that feeling of vulnerability that ultimately causes you to take a step back and keep the cap on. Here's what it is. The anecdote to vulnerability is God's value for you. He's a giver of good gifts. He's a God of abundance. He's a God of infinite mercy and grace. And he values you. He loves you. He sent his son to die for you on the cross. Jesus said... I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And when we can step into that attitude, not not to be served, not to be takers, but to serve and to give our life as a ransom, self-sacrificially, his meaning becomes our meaning. And wherever we go, we get to carry it with us. In just a moment, we're going to share Holy Communion. And as you come forward for Holy Communion, I want to invite you to consider those words from Jesus. 
I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. I was a conduit as an example for you. I invite you to be a conduit as a servant of mine. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for making us in such a way that we find meaning and purpose in allowing your heavenly wealth, your heavenly abundance, your heavenly grace to flow to us and then through us out into the lives of people. Lord, what a beautiful gift that is. I ask that for every person here, Lord. That every person here would understand that you are a God of abundance in all areas of life. I pray, Lord, for the caps that have already been identified in this room. And there are many. Every person has a unique one. And God, I pray that in the name of Jesus, your son, you would help these people, these your servants, remove those caps. Friend, if you're here today and you've named one of those caps just in in the quietness of your heart, place it before the Lord right here and right now. Just place it before the Lord and say, Lord, take this from me. I yearn to be a conduit of your grace and your hope and your truth for the world. Again, God, we thank you and we praise you for making us as your creatures, as and with the opportunity to serve you and serve others. And as we come to the table in just a moment, Lord, ever remind us of the self-sacrifice that you have made that sets an example for us so that we can find the greatest purpose and meaning in our lives. We pray it in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And the church said, amen.